the highest likelihood of any of it is that we still haven't seen the winner. That like we don't know the name of the actual, you know, underlying financial substrate that will guide the world in the future. That that still has not been created. I thought it was BlackRock chain. <laughs> what's up everyone before we jump into the episode little plug for digital asset summit coming up in london march 18th to 20th tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that we had to decrease the discount code so instead of empire 20 it is now empire 10 head over to the website digital asset summit das london march 18th to 20th use code empire 10 and get 10 percent off your tickets see you in london Hey everyone, just a reminder that nothing said on this episode is a recommendation to buy or sell any securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our own personal opinions and not financial advice. Myself, Santiago, or Ryan may hold tokens personally, or their associated funds may have exposure to tokens or equities mentioned. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Convo with Ryan Zer, Santiago, and myself. Excited to talk today. We're going to cover Solana's outage. We're going to talk about Blast. We're going to talk crypto AI, and we're going to talk defining themes for 2024. So we'll get spicy to start off. Ryan, let's talk about Solana's latest outage. So it's almost like, you know, in the Simpsons opening montage, where there's that thing of, of like how many days without an accident and, and Solana almost passed the one year without an accident, but didn't get there. And now it goes back to zero days. Um, and the big question is, does it matter, right? Does, does it matter to the Solana community? Does it matter to the broader community? But me looking at it, I would, I would say for the institutional, like high transaction volume clients that Solana is trying to attract, it matters a lot. Um, it clearly didn't matter to their core community this week because the price stayed relatively flat um, throughout this. And, you know, leadership seemed to brush it off. Uh, um, as as we saw, Anatoly put out a tweet saying, you know, he had gone to sleep before it happened, woke up after it was solved. And, you know, he seemed unbothered by, by the whole thing. But, you know, I'm wondering from you guys, what is your take? You know, does this matter as, as investors, as community members? And what are the implications? Of course it matters. Of course, you know, it's like that meme of like everyone's like cracking their neck and, you know, let's go. You know, Ethereum's like Solana's had an incredible amount of attention and run up. And, you know, this is a, a moment to really uh, dance on the grave, for so to speak. Uh, there is a big distinction. So, like, if we look historically, this was a liveness failure. My understanding is not to bore people to death was that it's it, it was a known issue. They were working on a patch. It was uh, related to like the uh, validator kind of uh, code base. And um, so in, in this instance, yeah, it was close to the year. Um, I believe this was, this outage lasted four hours, 46 minutes. Um, and relative to prior outages, the one before that was, I believe, you know, February 25th of, 20, of 2023. That outage lasted 18 hours, um, so, you know, a lot more. Um, and historically, look, I, I am not the most technically competent to speak to this, so I will 
um, go by what I've learned from the Solana dev community and trying to process everything that went on over the last couple of days. And look, I don't want to brush it off or minimize it. I think I certainly agree with you. Like liveness failures are no fun. It is uh, a challenge. Uh, it is well known that, you know, Solana as an ecosystem project is much younger as they were trying to push out a lot of the code from the Solana Labs Foundation. I believe it's Labs who did most of the coding. Uh, what you see now, you know, it's even Anatoly would concede. It, they had to make certain compromises. One, they were really bootstrapped and two, they just didn't have enough resources, right? And they're sprinting. Now, that's like, I agree with you. That's not a sufficient... Um, I don't think it's meant to be an excuse. It's more meant to be just an acknowledgement of the state of Solana. It's a much younger project. Um, they are they acknowledge these issues and they're working on them, right? I mean, you're going to have Fire Dancer uh, later this year, which for anyone that's not familiar, Fire Dancer is another client, so that would add more redundancy to the chain, and that's huge, right? Ethereum, I believe, has. Ryan, you know this better than I. Three or four clients? Uh, four, yep. Four, exactly. So um, having more client diversity is essential. Uh, Fire Dancer is developed by Jump. Um, there is an excellent blog post by the Helios team that goes into a lot of detail. It's not just that you're going to have a second client, but a lot of the upgrades, uh, both in terms of performance and reliability, uh, are meaningful. And so, um, yeah, it's just part of the, you know, there's a reason why Solana trades at a fraction of what Ethereum trades at. Uh, sure. But I mean, Solana trades at 56, you know, versus Ethereum's 220. And, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, so, 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 so let's call it, let's call that a quarter. And, the the big question that that comes to mind is, you know, the fact that Ethereum didn't have you know major liveness issues four years into live chain. Um, this is core value proposition to Solana. Like, imagine what it costs a Visa to have four hours and forty six minutes of of outage time, and how they must be taking pause with with all of this. Um, and you know, we're relatively large deployers in the Solana DeFi ecosystem where we see a lot of very raw, um, you know, products and, and code base. And it does beg the question, it clearly was undervalued at some point over the course of last year, but has it gone over its skis versus where it's, where it is technically, right? What do you mean by raw? Uh, so for example, like, DeFi pools don't pull directly from RPCs and you have to run command line to deploy a lot of capital. And, you know, we're talking about a second client from a relatively centralized source in, in literally year four. So like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of extra software to be built out from here, um, for it to, to be in a comp category with Ethereum, right? Like for it to be a quarter of Ethereum's value, one would think that, you know, the DeFi ecosystem should be relatively intuitive. Like 
DeFi and Solana for retail right now, really challenging, right? Like if you don't have good engineering resources, best of luck, you know, to all players in the game. Uh, and, and that's the question that I, I look at is, is has it, it, again, clearly it was undervalued, but has it run too much versus where it is in its moment? Is it just ahead of its moment in valuation at this point at one quarter of Ethereum or roughly, you know? Yeah, I think, so the way I'm thinking about it is I expected Solana to have more growing pains, but I think the less time of this outage is obviously better, right? That's like an improvement. I think the thing that would really screw me up is if Firedancer was released and was not performant. That's what I think would be obviously very bad. Like, so I think the market is pricing in a very strong Firedancer release, significant upgrades. You know, people are okay with lack of client diversity at this point and are overweighting the performance from Firedancer, which is great. But I think if that comes out and there are issues there, that's going to be way more disastrous than the labs client having issues. Does that make sense? Or so success in Fire Dancer is priced in, and that is compensatory mm -hmm. against the outages. Uh, look, I don't know. First of all, I don't think you ever know what's priced in. Uh, just look at the Bitcoin halvings. Um, we're seventy days out. Is it priced in? Historically, it's never been priced in. So, like, something as predictable as that is not priced in. What makes you think that Fire Dancer is priced in? I don't think, I, I guess if you were to survey most people in the market, don't have a true appreciation of what Fire Dancer is uh, or Anza, which is a third um, dev shop building, um, you know, another client. I, I, I don't think. Um, I think... Um, I mean, Ryan, your your point around how you know is Solana current valuation uh, relative to Ethereum accurate? Uh, I would argue it's not; it's undervalued. Uh, I don't want to minimize this outage. I mean, I think I was kind of expecting it to happen sooner, given the incredible amount of activity that you've seen in a very short order. Like there's just been, let's put it in perspective over the last couple of months, the number of activity across DeFi um, and other applications like Drip, Tensor has been incredible. Um, I would have expected, like I would have expected if anything, the network to, to go down during the Jupiter claim, which was, uh, you know, uh, put a lot of, I would have thought would have put a, a ton of strain on the network. And in fact, the network performed really smoothly. Uh, priority fees kicking in is something that is pretty encouraging from my standpoint. I think, I think the issues with Solana are, are well known, documented, and go listen to a lot of pods that Anatoly's been on recently, including mine, Empire, uh, uh, Lightspeed and or oh, include including this one in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think they're so we'll, we'll get a chance to ask him directly. Yeah, but I would have thought that the network, if anything, would have gone down sooner, particularly during either the Gito or most recently the Jupiter airdrop claim. But when I say what gives me the most amount of conviction, yeah, look, I hear you, Ryan. Solana is, you know, 
to say that look, it's it's a baby chain is not really right. I mean, it's fifty billion's worth of a baby chain that doesn't constitute a baby chain, and it's been a couple years out. But the reality of things is, I almost think that in reality, for me at least, Solana is a very different chain. Um, it's just gotten the quality of projects. I hear you while still not perfect. Um, I think the quality of products on the Solana ecosystem are superior to many of what you see. Not not, not comparing just to Ethereum, just, you know, are products that I would send um, a uninitiated person in crypto to try out first, particularly Tensor and Jupiter. But I'm not here to debate the retail side. I'm here more to debate more with you guys. The The fundamental question is, is it acceptable? I think it's unrealistic to assume that any chain is not going to have issues, right? There's always going to be bugs. You've had bugs in Bitcoin, pretty serious when you've had bugs in Ethereum. Um, I mean, this is part of the game, right? Um, so, Santiago, so one, one thing that's different versus the last outage is there's obviously way more usage on Solana, I think. I mean, just... I think so now versus yes. in the past, right? So the ripple effects of an outage could be like quantified, it's larger. Like, I don't think we even have like an instant report out yet, but do you have any idea of how this affected Solana DeFi trading, you know, the whole nine yards there? Like, because I, 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 yeah, I don't have a post mortem. I think the impact, um, I was looking at a couple of uh, people reached out to the Jupiter team and say, hey, well, what's going to happen, right? Uh, some of these positions. Like, is there bad debt? I don't think it was. Yeah, I haven't seen a postmortem is a short answer to that. And you're right. The biggest risk during these um, outages is particularly DeFi, right? You have like Oracle, like these, this, see, like uh, centralized exchanges keep processing these trades. And so there's a price, there's an Oracle there. And so once the network is back online, you might be, uh, you might be instantly liquidated. So uh, yeah, I haven't seen a postmortem. But I suspect it's not as big because it wasn't that much of movement as Ryan alluded to earlier in prices. Different story if like Solana would have been down 10%. In prior outages, this has happened. Uh, or other DeFi assets would have been down like, you know, quite a lot. But I don't think those are the case in this instance. Per maybe because most of the world was sleeping. Like, well, I guess like, you know, like in the West Coast, like just went to bed and wake up and nothing, nothing can happen. DeFi remains strong. I mean, we when when we were talking in November, it was around that three hundred million dollar uh, range, and and like it had come down really precipitously. But now we're talking about, you know, one point five billion. I actually think it's going to be closer to two or three billion than maybe a month because of all of the interesting stuff going in that ecosystem. And to your point, there are some, you know. There is some rawness to work out, but there's a lot of excitement. And like, what is the, what are some of the one or one to three things that cause you to conclude that not only is it not over its skis in spite of the challenges, but it's undervalued versus its peers? I mean, to take it a different way, I think the thing that I'm struggling with with ETH is just the obvious question of long-term value flows in a fractured environment. Like you have ETH a settlement, you have Eigen and Celestia as DA layers and a couple others coming online. 
then you have the L2s. Like the modular stack is awesome. And seeing like the Celestia tweets from Nick White on all the money that rollups would save by using them is phenomenal, but that's all money that's not going to uh, ETH L1. So I am struggling a bit to understand where the best place to play ETH is long-term. Um, and, you know, the DA layers have their own concerns on on value capture themselves because all the money they save is, is clearly not money they, they are making. Um, so that's sort of one issue that I'm struggling with on ETH, um, which is kind of ironic because on Solana you get composability by default um, and fast fees, and on ETH now we have this uncomposable uh, value capture issue, which I'm struggling with. But yeah, I definitely did not answer your question, Ryan. I took it a different way, but maybe yeah. you answered it via the counterfactual, and that <laughs> you're saying you know maybe it, it, relatively speaking eth is just over its skis because of of these really significant architectural challenges so that that does answer it i that is a way to the to to why one would be outlier bullish solana right now yeah and i mean the i mean the amount of eth locked up is also phenomenal right like the amount in blast the amount in what is it 25% of yeah. all eth is staked across eigenlayer l2s and a bunch of other places yeah, and we're, I mean, we're investors in Eigenlayer. I'm an angel. Like, I, I love seeing the the traction there. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of different restaking options. You can do EtherFi, you can do Renzo, Puffer. There, there's a lot of options. And it makes sense, right? Eigenlayer has caps. You can go through these protocols, earn extra token, earn their points or tokens, and then also get some pro rata access. So I think the, the adoption that Eigenlayer has on the supply side is phenomenal and definitely blew my expectations out of the water the questions i have on that side are obviously rehypothecation risk so you slash eth somewhere how does that affect the rest of the system and then to the demand side like what is actually being built uh, beyond eigen da i think is um my two largest things i'm tracking right now um but yeah it kind of just goes back to the eth side by the way tommy uh check out the q a that uh uh, Sharam and the Ayan layer team posted recently around this rehypothecation and a bunch of other questions. It was quite useful. I think my big, uh, look, not to get to on a tangent here, but uh, yeah, just go read it because I think it, the the risk is not so much in rehypothecation at, at the Ayan layer, layer at least, certainly on like who you, the, like the restakers. But uh, it's really around like this idea that the chain and the scalability roadmap of Ethereum is being, I guess, delegated to a whole set of other parties. And particularly, my biggest issue with Eigen, when I first heard the pitch from Calvin and uh, Saram, I guess, I'm maybe butchering his name, is that they're going to have this like security council to determine the security parameters initially. You're going to select a few people to set these guardrails. And when I hear that, it makes, it gives me pause. I, I'm sure there there are competent people to make this determination, but a lot of it is just, it's difficult. And I, I absolutely would want a centralized council making those decisions to start. I definitely do not want a community of anons deciding uh, risk I'm, engine. I'm not, suggest, I'm not suggesting that an anon would do it. I'm just saying the point around I guess like I'd much rather see trust minimized systems. And the original conception of Ethereum is just trust minimized. Like you don't need to trust anyone, right? And now you're you're seeing certainly like I think the 
scalability roam up of Ethereum is something that perhaps we should debate at some point. I I don't think it's impossible. I think uh, composability at one point, if your guys were at DevCon in Kyoto, was like the word, right? You're going to break composability. I, I think breaking composability is not the right mindset. I think the internet, when I go talk to core engineers way back in the day, I think that a lot of what you think about composability, not, not everything needs to have atomicity and it's a spectrum. And I think you can fix that with better connectivity between chains. I think it's solvable. Um, I don't want to come across because most recently I've been, of course, very vocal about Solana. Most of my portfolio is still Ethereum centric folks. <laughs> Like, I hope I, it's, I can't unwind. Say it again. I, I will say it again. I, Most of my historical and current portfolio, because I invest in early right. stage projects, are skewed heavily, heavily on the Ethereum camp. But well, but that doesn't mean that I, well, I'm, Sandy, I'm not like, I think I, I've just gotten frustrated with the lack of, visibility into how ethereum really becomes a chain that can attract like mainstream adoption and i hear you on the celestia pitch i hear you on like modularity and certainly it gives us more breathing room and i think maybe that's that's the maybe that is the bull case for ethereum which is the human capital the developer side which you know, it's like high school. You at the last minute figure shit out and hand in the homework, and you and humanity has a way of fixing things in the last minute. <laughs> and I'm never going to short that side because Ethereum dominates. But I just see a very clear path for Solana to, when I see how it has been able to handle a surge in activity. I think it would be unfair to look at this network outage which was a known issue, which is recently this, this upgrade um, called the, like the Berkeley packet filter. It, it was like a recent improvement and they knew the issue. They were fixing it and it just sort of the network went down. But I think it would be a bit unfair to look at this and say, oh, Solana is just a centralized VC coin. Sam from prison is probably, you know, or the <laughs> seeing memes of like the Nintendo 64 blowing in the cassette. Uh, I, I think that misses the point. And uh, there's still a lot of people that are offsides. There's you know, a lot of people that haven't been paying enough attention to Solana. I think it is a very, still a very non-consensus trade. And crypto is still very much non-consensus. So doubly non-consensus. Interesting. Uh, well, that that's great feedback. Um, with that, let's let's switch gears and and dive into the crossover of of crypto and AI. One one last thing, Ryan, because I, last pod, I think it's funny because we were talking about the Solana phone, and you know, you really dismissed that, and now you're going to have egg, your... egg on my face on the Solana <laughs> phone. I'll tell you that. Not 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 to put you on the spot. Look, we're, we've it, it's been. A, I don't think it's like like. It sounds like you're putting him on the spot. Yeah, I am. No, no, <laughs> no listen, hey, listen. I, I, the question was more directed around. Ryan, you're someone that has paid a lot of attention. You all are playing in Solana, it sounds like. Um, we, everyone here has invested in projects that just didn't get off the ground or haven't gone off the ground. Have you changed your mind on something in particular about Solana as of late? 
given everything that's been going on, both good and bad and neutral. But have you revisited your thesis on Solana? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you, you come back to it consistently. And from the time of the seed saft investment up to now, it has been this sort of like give and take of, okay, this feels over its skis. And then, okay, you know, actually they're doing some really interesting things. And this is a genuine community. That, that, that's one of the things that was very obvious of 2023, that you, you had to respect the fact that it's a really legitimate community of like, you know, network devs and people taking a very different approach to the, you know, the almost religiosity of Bitcoin or, 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 or derivative of, the, of that with Ethereum where kind of decentralization trumps all and, and, and you must sacrifice so much more for that because that, that trumps all, um, their, their different approach is, is really compelling. And I think they, they brought new energy into the space and there's some really interesting things. The, the phone, um, I, I, I certainly respect the fact that you can pay for the phone with airdrops. I think that's a great idea. I need as a, as a venture capitalist would, would question the, um, the wisdom of going and fighting the holy war against an Apple and a Google in, in phones on your own while trying to, to, to run a chain. And so, you know, there are red flags. Uh, and I think that's fair. And I deploy capital mostly in 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 yielding, but also but also speculatively in in the ecosystem right now. But do so very tepidly, and and do so questioning myself at every uh, at every corner because I don't. You guys must go through the same thing. But the more time that we spend in this game, the more somewhat unsure of of myself I am, and the more I'm questioning my own my own hypothesis and just like trying to just stick to a, to a framework. And, and so I don't propose to have the, the solution on, on Solana right now. Um, I would, I suppose in this exact moment, I take a little bit of the other side and I say, man, a quarter to a fifth of Ethereum in this moment feels expensive because of my perspective from yielding. And the quality of the yielding ecosystem in, in EVM versus quality of, of the yielding system in this moment in Solana. But at the same time, they evolve much faster than Ethereum because they don't have all this architectural tech, technical debt. What's up, everyone? Quick break from the show to talk about Digital Asset Summit. This is going to be BlockWorks's eighth DAS. We've been hosting this since 2019. It's our longest running conference series coming up March 18th to 20th in sunny London town, spring in London. You don't want to miss it. It's a crazy lineup. Definitely our craziest DAS yet. Just added Michael Sonnenschein from Grayscale, the head of digital asset research at Franklin Templeton. We've got DRW. We've got KKR. We've got Marshall Waste, CME Group. We have Bloomberg. We have Visa. We have Wintermute. We have Van we have FIS. We've got the framework folks joining us. 1KX, CoinShares, JP Morgan, Standard Chartered, QCP, Morgan Creek. Santi is coming, of course. Ledger CEO and chairman Pascal will be there. It is going to be a phenomenal event. You don't want to miss it. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that unfortunately we can't offer 20% off anymore. There's a new code. It's Empire10. Empire10 is going to get you 10% off. 
see you in London. What, uh, maybe perhaps if you guys can entertain a question, because I, I would be curious to understand what are you most excited about from the Ethereum scalability roadmap? Is it parallelization through some like Monad? Is it ZK EBMs? Is it modularity like Celestia type of stuff, really compressing down costs, all of the above? Um, a lot has happened, I guess, and, and it's increasingly happening. It's hard to keep up, but I'm curious uh, if you guys are, what is it that you're most excited about from Ethereum side? Um, so the, the thing that I'm most excited about is also the thing that I think is the biggest issue. So Solana narrative, very simple, um, you know, fastest global state machine speed of light, yada, yada. Um, I'll let someone on Solana correct me on that on Twitter after this goes live. Um, the Ethereum side, I think the thing I'm most excited about is also the problem in that there are so many teams building. I don't think any of us, and I've tried to find a, a guest to do this, could conceptualize everything that's going on in the short amount of time or reasoning that that makes sense. Like, I don't think you can ever put the dozens of L2 and infra teams now building around L Ethereum in a concise way that makes the narrative super sticky and understood. So it's positive in that there's all these teams building. It's negative in that the narrative is not a catchy one-liner, um, but I don't know any other way that it's going to to play out other than the things built on top get mega popular. That drives value back to ETH as a settlement layer, and that's sort of the narrative. Um, but well, that's a narrative for the value accrual, but not so much on like how do you get billions of users. Yeah, well, it is though, because like the the hydra of apps built on top of ETH on L2s will directly target users. It doesn't have to be on the L1. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, pushing I, the fees. Yeah, I... Oh, I, sorry. Okay. I, yeah. I think I think we've... We have probably... We've clearly not seen the emergent one that will capture, like, the millions of retail users. The thing that I'm excited about it, it with respect to, to Ethereum scalability is capital efficiency and capital sinkholes. So capital efficiency is even just what you guys were talking about, rehypothecation, um, you know, new ways to, to, to like yield and use that capital such that it's, you know, compounding and accruing back to ETH as a base layer. And then ETH as a base layer, I am resigned to the fact that, I mean, if you own less than a thousand dollars in an ETH address, get it out in the next X number of months because eventually it's going to be dust, right? Like, like it will be, it will have a certain cost. Um, and, and that's because of the second thing, the capital sinkholes, where there are all these ways to, to, to use capital and, and, you know, efficiently rehypothecate capital such that, you know, it sucks up a lot of ETH. And so there isn't that much circulating ETH. And then as a result, you get, um, you know, you get appreciation. And uh, I think that generally that will drive interest because, you know, because of the financial incentivization, people are making money and it's scalable because of that. It, you, one of my core theses right now is that 
uh, the financial use case for the foreseeable future is the killer app of crypto, and that's okay. We don't actually necessarily need social and need a whole bunch of other things. All we need to do is be able to give decentralized loans and hopefully do decentralized capital formation, uh, aka ICO 2.0 on the horizon, and that's fine. And if we can just do that, that will attract millions of users because if you give a man an incentive and a lever, he can move the world. He'll get, he'll figure out which L2 and he'll figure out all the mess of it all because he's financially incentivized to do so because this is where the capital is flowing because of capital efficiency and capital uh, sinkholes. Sorry, that was a bit long-winded. That's that's no, it's not long-winded at all. It's great. Both of you guys have like touched on like I agree the financial gimmicks of restaking, rehypothecating. Like, yeah, like go fucking farm yams. Like it was fun. I get it, but none of you guys have touched on fees. And when I think of, to your point, Ryan, what about the user that has less than a thousand bucks to speculate? Impossible. Mm -hmm. Impossible. On an L1. ETH main chain. And an L2. Meh. Who knows? You still got a bridge got to a it. got a bridge to it, and it is challenge. It is, you know, I would encourage a li listeners, you guys, for me, one of the more eye-opening experiences in this journey was I've constantly, like, re-underwriting um, re my thesis. So talk to some a project like Drip, like compressed NFTs, the ability to do things at, like, meaningfully orders of magnitude cheaper than even an L2s, you know, you'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, so what? Like L2s are pretty cheap and I get it today, but you know, look, so much in investing is understanding the present. I think L2s today can support more, way more users than what they have, but there is, I think, a, a limitation to that. And I don't see that big of a problem with Solana. There's other issues for sure. They're going to have to implement an EIP 1559 fees, you know, not perfect, but they're like on the margin is what I'm trying to convey. I see more fundamental issues, more leap of faith uh, on the Ethereum scalability roadmap. Not to say that it won't be figured out. I just think it carries actually more risk than perhaps people are willing to acknowledge today. Sure. Whereas Solana certainly has, more inertia, it, it, yeah, and, and you're betting on fantastic developers that time and time again have risen to the occasion, and I think quality of devs is superior in Ethereum, or you know, it just attracts a lot of attention because the liquidity has been there historically. I'm just not so sure that that will continue to be true going forward. If you're a builder, I ask yeah. every portfolio company that is deciding on which chain to build. I'm like, yeah, I understand. Like, I'm an investor in many L2s that we're going to talk about. Seed investor in Scroll, Blast, Arbitrum, uh, Monta, like a lot. Why? Because I just want to see these things work. But today, I just genuinely asked the question, like, what can you get out of all of these that you will not be, like, that you're not getting? Like, why not just build in Solana with Firedancer, performance-wise? And maybe Ryan, yeah, that's, uh, hey, well, the chain goes out and there's network outages and that's fair criticism. And we can leave it at that. <laughs> you know, 
We, <laughs> we shall see. Well, Santi, to your to your point, I mean, one thing Ceteris at, at Delphi, or head of research, always brought up was that, like, the design space of a chain with such low fees has never truly been, like, exercised to its full potential, right? Like, there hasn't been years and years of which to create apps that could take advantage of that low fee market. Um, and I think that's, like, a, a really good bull case for for Solana as well and up the, up what you guys are talking about. Yeah. And this, there will be many, in my view and Ryan, I think we can all agree and I, I know we're supposed to disagree, but you know, it's a, it's a multi-chain world in my mind. You know, oh, not all sure. applications fact, require composability, not applic applications require the same level of security, trust assumptions, but you know. The highest likelihood of any of it is that we still haven't seen the winner. That like we don't know the name of the actual, you know, underlying financial substrate that will guide the world in the future. That that still has not been created. I thought it was BlackRock Chain. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, BlackRock's busy buying up all the single family homes and and pricing single mothers out of their houses. Well, that's what the Instagram memes is that are doing. Blackstone or BlackRock? <laughs> you're talking about. Sorry, yeah. I'm talking about Blackstone real I'm estate. I'm talking about Blackrock. Sorry, <laughs> come on, man, get out. <laughs> it. It was a late one. <laughs> I get, I get one mess up. We, yeah, we we can see we can see that Vegas that Vegas landscape in the background by your supplier. So actually, Ben's quiet. Right, let's 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 hear from you. I want to I want to hear the the Tommy Shahanasi um, viewpoint on the crossover of crypto and AI. Uh, and where you know where you're excited uh, about these these two important technologies, which there has been this ridiculous false dichotomy created of like ah people in crypto sh should leave and like go to AI, and it's like actually the two are <laughs> incredibly enabling for each other. And so I want to hear more of, of how you think through that. All right, I'll try and I'll try and keep it quick. Now that I'm on the spot, um, so I guess. The, my interest got peaked with mid-journey, right? I think that's, you know, what, over 18 months ago I, I gave that a shot and was just blown away by what you could make. You know, type in a prompt, get a picture, super cool, right? That significantly accelerated with ChatGPT launching as, you know, who else? Sort of went into like a, a slight existential crisis, like, you know, are we in a simulation? <laughs> Does this all work? Yada, yada. Um ended up realizing that large language models like ChatGPT are, are obviously not Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminators, right? They're really good at finishing our sentences, right? They don't have any creativity, thought, value system, any, anything like that. Uh, it's almost like uh, confusing the, the user uh, on how good they are. Um, so they're trained on the, the, the world's internet, goes into a system, fine-tunes, aka changes a billion zero and ones to certain numbers, um, and when you write a prompt, it, it goes through that system. So that was sort of my journey with LLMs and ChatGPT. Um, but then I further got solidified that crypto and AI is perfect, uh, given the open AI drama. Um, the concept that you have a board of what looked like high school teachers, I think one was controlling the most powerful foundational model on earth, um, is just extremely laughable. Um, and the idea that that could change hands uh, back to Sam Altman and crew over a weekend uh, is ridiculous. Um, 
So imagine not just ChatGPT that you have now that you're entering chats into, but the ChatGPT app store, there's 3 million ChatGPTs built on that foundational model. If you slightly change that model, um, you know, let's change it a little bit so that we hate Santiago, right? <laughs> or let's change it a little bit so we like Solana. That reverberates through every application built on top of ChatGPT and literally changes the, the flow of society. Um, so at a foundational level, I think that the most powerful open, the most powerful models should be open source, should be transparent, um, and should live in a crypto-like world. Um, they should not be centralized like OpenAI, and, and we should be able to see them. Um, so that's sort of my core thesis for why AI and crypto go together. The other kind of tidbits are that I think in the future, on the, the long arc to AGI, AGI will be using crypto. Um, they're never going to go into a bank branch. They're never going to trust a, a Charles Schwab account. They're going to use permissionless money to build uh, their own purposes, right? Another angle is that um, all the latent hardware we have around the world, you know, Macs, PS5s, et cetera, should be used to train these models. Um, there is a cost that people will pay uh, to do that. The Jensen folks talk about, and that's just increasing the amount of energy in the world, right? Um, having all these extra GPUs to train models or to do inference and host those models against uh, to run prompts, I think is is massive. Uh, that's like Ionet, Akash, Jensen, you know, they're all doing that. Um, the other side of it, you know, one level up the stack is just uh, smarter apps. So, you know, Uniswap liquidity provision is really hard. Um, let's create an off-chain AI model that is large and can handle that effectively. And when you want to rebalance your position, you know, now you could ping that model and, and move things around. So applications get really smart. Um, another angle is the user side, right? LLMs make it really easy to use crypto. So instead of, uh, you know, bridge my ETH to state ETH to put it into a pool to lever up, yada, yada, just type your intent in a large language model, see the simulated result, and hit send. Um, so yeah, there, I, there's a lot of ways this can go. Um, I have pros and cons for BitTensor and, and other projects, but I'll, uh, I'll chat, I'll stop there for, for right now. Yeah, I've, um, I've shared a lot of views, so I, a lot of my education in AI has come from specific folks like Daniel at Modulus, which I'm an investor in, and they're doing, uh, uh, verification. Uh, you know, if you, being able to prove that the model is actually doing and performing in the way that you told it uh, or, or, or telling it to, and that becomes quite valuable. Um, <clears throat> you know, a model could go rogue, so to speak, um, and having the guarantee that it's not is pretty valuable. Um, and I am, you know, I've looked at, to your point, Tommy, I've looked at the decentralized kind of compute, like a deep in angle, like, you know, for training purposes, um, like the Akash and BitTensors of the world. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts around like two things. One, are you more excited about inference or training um, of these models? Um, and second, you know, talking, going back to the initial discussion, I think it's unrealistic to deploy an LLM on Ethereum. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
just... he, he had to bring it back to Solana ride. It, it was five minutes too long. I'm not saying it has to be Saying. I'm not saying it has to be Solana. <laughs> I'm just saying. Metallic had a hilarious tweet in like, I think it was sort of mid-2017 where he said, people who are talking about AI on top of blockchain, why do you want to live your life in this way? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah, and in the, the context of those blockchains, like it was a ridiculous yeah. conversation, right? To yeah. talk about <laughs> learning using, you know, Gollum or something like that on top of Ethereum mainnet. It just like, it, like to his point, like why, like why do you even want to live your life in this way? Um, that's fair. You know, one of the there are obviously some like low hanging fruit that that can be compelling like are you guys looking at um at any startups uh, uh focusing on uh attribution of uh of data like data inputs into into models so for example you know it it, it would seem like a logical use of crypto technologies is getting that decentralized attribution so that value can be can be shared across all of the necessary tokens or, or data points that compose to make an output. So if I, if I go and say, you know, what were the top 10 um, news headlines of the day that you can use, a, you know, a, a cryptographic proof that shows that they pulled one headline from the New York Times and one from The Economist and one from here and there and, and everywhere, and then those entities can be paid in a secure trustless and even private fashion for the the data that they supply to the to the model that creates the output and that that seems to solve one of the big problems that very clearly ai has this tsunami problem on on the horizon of the fact that they're using all of this intellectual property and not paying for it and they got to find a way to pay for it and it would seem that crypto is the most efficient path to getting these disparate parties to to align on a payment mechanism um is that something that you guys are looking at well didn't uh what's his name he there's a decentralized hedge fund model right you would upload your model there is you would upload your model and if your model outperformed like you get oh yeah yeah what's um, the name um yeah what is it i happen to be a, the numeri numeri I happen to be an yeah. investor however so it, it, so with a, a you know a day one you know, 2015 investment. The interesting thing about the Numeri story is that, it, and this is my observation from the outside, because they have to to homomorphically encrypt the data before they share it with the tournament participants, there is an argument that I have made observationally that you may have greater loss in the quality of the data and the inference that you can derive from it because it's hidden behind homomorphic encryption, then you gain by having the wisdom of the crowd. Uh, and thus, mm -hmm. the, it becomes really difficult because you have that veil of the homomorphic encryption to outperform, say, you know, like the Medallion Fund or 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 whoever else on, on Wall Street because they don't have to worry about that part of the privacy of the underlying data. Um, I do say that having with a tip of the hat, 
that Richard Crabbe and his team have performed exceedingly well and very consistently. Up market, down market, Numerai continues to do really well. Um, and, but like it, it doesn't have those like, um, you know, those massive outlier gain years like a Citadel will have. And I would argue that that is probably the missing link is that you have to hide it all behind homomorphism. Wait a minute, but the the lizard brain of mine, my basic understanding of homomorphic encryption is you take any set of data, and if you don't trust, you don't, so if you're, uh, you know, an analyst, you don't want other people to look at your model because, hey, it's alpha, and but you're going to submit it, <clears throat> no one's going to be able to see the model, just a result, right? But the model, that you can train an LLM with homomorphic encrypted data, and the LLM itself becomes superior. So say that like 10 analysts upload their models. It's homomorphically encrypted. Yep. You can still, the whole point of that is to train a model with all these data sets and only like, and you care about like the result, the model becomes smarter, adapts, takes all these inputs. But the whole notion is that the people behind it can't look at each other's models and copy that. But the LLM itself becomes smarter as a result because it's ingesting more data. The quality of the data should be higher. So how, I'm lost in your the point you made, which is the wisdom of the crowds. Like should be so. Let's superior. say let's I, say I let's take a really trivial case, right? Let's say we're trading a bunch of stocks, and these stocks have a number of data sets. It's like weather and you know. P and, um, uh, you know, some like economic data and things like that. And then you, you hash that underlying data. The, the argument there is that in hashing that underlying data so that look behind homomorphic encryption so that it can be shared with the, these groups and then they can evaluate the trends between those data points in order to create models or the inference between, you know, P and weather and how those, those interact. And then the model will create a more intelligent output because of that. Um, the, mm -hmm. the, the sort of loss of data quality by going and, and, and holding it behind a, behind a, a hash of a homomorphic encryption prevents the model from getting that really outlier insight. Right, because it's you know it, it like it, it it's just an inference, and um, and so even if it's like let's say it's like five percent loss of data, right? You're talking about something that is harder than the Olympics, right? Let's say it's a one percent loss of data, you're done against a Citadel, over, right? Like that that one percent is their their lunch money, right? And so. You know, like can, the question is, can you make that one percent up or that five percent or whatever that small loss of, of data quality up by using the wisdom of the crowd across a number of models? Um, and I, I think that remains to be seen. Now, again, Numerai does pretty well. Um, it's not Citadel, though. It's not Millennium, um, but it does pretty well. Uh, and I would argue that the reason, the thing that holds it back from being that like dominant global capital pool is that 
like small bit of, of, of data quality loss um, through the encryption process. To your point is how do you choose what model is being used for what inference, right? Like there's going to be billions of models. Right. Exactly. Like, the line, so, like they don't know that it's weather data. They have to infer that it's weather data. Right. Exactly. Um, like something with bit tensors, like a good example, like how do you, like let's, they have, you know, 30 subnets. Every subnet does something different. Model creators upload their models to each subnet in an effort to provide the best value, right, to the to the inference provider, right? So if you're doing image generation, all three of us upload our fine-tuned image models. Mine's Adam A, Ryan, yours is hyper-realistic. Santiago has Solana on top of every picture for his. Like, you know, how do we gauge which inference is the best one, right? And I think deciding which model is going to be used in each situation is going to be really hard. Um, and I don't think BitTensor solve that or anyone else. Well, doesn't the market solve itself? Like the market solves this problem very efficiently, right? But how though? If you if you have a million images, image models created, you have to run each inference against each of those models and get feedback from every customer to then rate them. Yeah, it's it's very hard. It, well, and, it's it's, you it's know, images an economic is challenge, right? Because not everyone's going to have the ability to do that at scale. And well-resourced players. This is why technology is a centralizing force. The only yeah, shot that it, we have, right? Because this would dictate, you play this point. out sufficiently over a number yeah. of iterations. The well-capitalized players might not have the most superior model initially, but they just become the de facto standard because they were able to play this game farther out than a less capitalized player. Crypto comes along, and I think this is from a more philosophical standpoint, why crypto is essential in this transformation that we're going to see in AI is because technology is an incredibly centralizing force. And the only shot that we have is to, to prevent AI to be incredibly, even more centralizing than what we've seen to date, is by creating more sophisticated coordination mechanisms with better incentives that make it the superior alternative. Now, what does that actually mean in practice? I have theories, but I don't think it's a bit tensor in Akash as they look today, <laughs> candidly, or even I. Like it's it's going to take a lot of work because you can just go to you can use the, the the like time and time. Ryan, you remember these fucking pitches back in 2017? Like let's build a decentralized Uber. I'm like, why? It's the last <laughs> thing I want to fucking use. Who do I call? <laughs> Airbnb decentralized Airbnb. Who do I call? Like, so, how do I resolve this? We need to up our game. In, like, we need to up our game in crypto. The stakes are getting higher. The opportunities are higher. Blockchains are data rich. They will produce pristine, tamper-proof data that is incredibly valuable, will be, over time. We haven't figured out the product side of the house, the incentives side of the house, the economic, crypto economic side of the house. We need more talent coming into these sectors to really be able to have a shot at competing against Web2 players like Midjourney and 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 so many of the other players that allow you to like spin up or rent out quickly a GPU. It doesn't have to be decentralized, by the way. Like it doesn't. The the the, the more compelling are Tommy in your 
list of things that I definitely agree with is AGI, like AI agents will use stable coins just because they don't have any other option. And that's to your point, Ryan, maybe that's good enough. <laughs> like it's just still, I would love to see stablecoin demand go up a hundred X. Yep. I want to, I want to share my, the counterpoint to my own thesis, right? So my own thesis is that AI should live transparently. We should all see the parameters, yada, yada, right? The counterpoint to that is exactly what Modulus, Giza, and our own Porco Inference Labs is delivering, which is if you're spending an obscene amount of money training a model for a specific use case, you're paying for specific data, specific training, or some algorithm that's God tier, you know, you have this huge sunk capital cost. Why would you ever give that away for free, right? You're going to keep that model off chain. You're not going to want to reveal the parameters because you have this edge. You spent all of this money. Why would you give it away for free? And you're going to let crypto applications and users inference that model without revealing any of the weights or parameters while it lives off chain because it also is too large to fit on chain anyway, right? And someone like Inference Labs does that, right? Like you have the model, you have a hash and an identifier, and you use that model. If the model parameters change, the hash changes. You know something's changed. You're not going to use it, but uh, it still lives off chain. So that is like the counterpoint to my own crypto AI thesis a bit, but curious what you guys think about it. That Well, that dovetails with a, a an observation that I make about AI broadly, the, the sort of generalist mechanic venture capitalist in me is very cautious with respect to AI as a, as a VC category um, because it may be the first emerging industry where the incumbents like accrue the most value, right? You know, um, Microsoft didn't win search. Google didn't win social. Uh, Facebook didn't win crypto. You know, you can go down down the list. Usually, the upstarts are the dominant um, players in in a novel industry. But in this case, there may just be so much, um, you know, compute and data concentrated in a few centralized forces that this time around that story doesn't play out the same way. And that's why most of my AI play has been magnificent seven thus far and not in startups same here even though i've invested in a share number of portfolio companies but i think um well and tommy you you've hit it out of the park with mid-journey um congrats on that (laughs) no thanks it wasn't i mean it was a it was through a fund that we we invested in so shout out to to them uh but uh where where i am um i'm looking at a company now that uh i've actually this is one of the best founders i've talked to recently we were supposed to have a 40 minute call. We ended up having a much longer discussion. Back to my original point of where I think AI, like crypto is particularly well suited for training and reinforcement learning. Uh, I think that's where you could probably uh, create a more um, superior system relative to web two. And the whole notion is you can train these like models with human feedback you can optimize um that and the rate of improvement is faster um you can the question is can you do it efficiently 
And I think crypto so far has been really interesting experiments to create systems that um, really improve coordination and incentives. Um, and so I think that's an area where <clears throat> probably is where you have a better shot at winning over an incumbent with, uh, again, reinforcement learning with human feedback. And, you know, it's no different than perhaps uh, you think about like play to earn, for example, which most people discredit now these days. The question is, is it sustainable? You're doling out these incentives via token reward mechanism. Is it sustainable? And that's an issue that gaming, at least the initial games, if you want to call it that, have struggled with. At some point, the game economy collapses. Um, and in this case, it's actually, I think it collapses because you, the network effects are not properly understood. The network effects, I think, of machine learning, like, uh, like this, are you know the idea is Ryan, if us three are contributing to a particular model and we're being incentivized to do so. I have an incentive to provide feedback. The machine becomes better. Tommy, you your turn comes. You also have an incentive to um, you know um, give feedback, and then when it's your turn, Ryan, the model is just so much better. And when and when my and once you get that flywheel going, you could argue that you don't necessarily need that much financial incentives to to keep that loop of feedback going around, and because it has very powerful, stronger network effects than a, your Axie Infinity. Um, and I think a Web two company is gonna struggle to incentivize a vastly distributed and um, harder to coordinate uh, distributed and decentralized group of, of people. And for training, to your point, wisdom of the crowds fails. Why? There's two parameters that you need for wisdom of the crowds to be true. Otherwise, it's a bunch of idiots that produce terrible results. And that is sufficiently large N. So the pool is large and yep. diversity. And I think with crypto, you can do that very efficiently. Better than perhaps a Web2 company can. The, the the one pushback I don't totally understand is that AI is a centralizing force, right? You have all the best hardware, all the best data, you train the best model. But the counterpoint is if Ryan were to create a fine-tuned LLM, he takes an open source model like Llama, trains it on all of his DMs, it becomes Ryan, right? That model will always be Ryan better than that GBT will be Ryan because Ryan's model is fine-tuned. It's specific. It's, it's perfect. Right. And we'll have, we'll have it on the pod someday. Right. But the large models have to generalize about the entire world. So sure. The model gets smarter as you get more info, but it's getting info from everyone and has to cater to the largest target audience, which is everything all the time. You know who creates so, a better model of Ryan than Ryan? Yeah. Who, who has more data than Ryan than anyone else? Oh, Google or Facebook? Not Facebook. Yeah, well, that's not, scary. Not, uh, you're Ryan, but yeah. I'm talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's it. But then, that's, Ryan, we're creating you. That we that, don't want to tell you. <laughs> that lends the the second order implication of that is that 
Google captures a lot of the value of these individual models because they already contain the data trove on you. And then they also have the compute war chest to, to go and do the work. Yeah. And it's like, right. I, I tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. I, and I think it's a contrarian view. I think Google beats open AI. Facebook. I was loading up on Facebook because most people are like crushing it because of the metaverse servers. I'm like, these guys are going to spin up some of the best models out there. Because <laughs> they have, I think they have the most data. I think they have the most H100s. Facebook. Ryan, I, I definitely I am in your camp. Like, look at who has the most H100s. It is the top, yeah. the biggest tech companies, right? And then, furthermore, who has the best data? They're not sharing it with anyone. Amazon, Facebook. Google, Twitter, like uh, pharma. Yeah, good luck trying to be spinning up a specialized LM for insurance, pharma. You don't have any of the fucking data. How are you going to build a model? It's all in the data. Yeah. Yeah. This is where the AI hype is going to come be... crashing, by the way. There's so, many, there's so many venture companies that are going up this. I've looked at a, a, a sector that I like, but I have been really cautious to invest against my own will is biotech. Everything looks like a Christmas tree. Everything looks shiny. It's going to cure cancer. And it just doesn't because the, 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 um, startups don't have good data. And the big, the, the, the big farm, big pharma has data on all these clinical trials that you've never even heard of. They're going to then go back to the, that shelf and train it and like run through and, you know, do protein sure. unfolding, yada, 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 and come up with the next vaccine, mRNA, or come up with the next, you know, cancer treatment or whatever. It's going to probably be big pharma. Yeah. Whenever anybody says, oh, aren't there a lot of scams in crypto? You just say, oh, you've clearly never spent time in buying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, what's the difference no. between a scam and a... Um... <laughs> Not a scam yeah. in the venture world. Yeah, and a, and and a, <laughs> yeah, what, what's the difference between a scam and a preclinical trial um, <laughs> a company in biotech? Nothing. Wait, but you have Zero. Henry Kissinger on board. Promised us. Isn't that supposed <laughs> to be legit? Oh, <laughs> well, anyways, let's switch gears. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we got blast. Wait, wait, wait! Before we do that, uh, parting thoughts. AI. How bullish are you on a scale of one to ten, Tommy, Ryan, and then I'll give my answer. And and, I, and when I say bullish, I, I back it up with dollars, like percentage of your book. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I'm very bullish. I think crypto AI is the next the next narrative for sure, and I think it's a long term narrative. Um, and we're we're very active here. We're going super deep with founders. We're putting our money where our mouth is, and we have been for a year. Or you know, our first investment in AI was author state machine. And then recently it was test machine over 15 months ago. Um, and to date we've done Ionet, inference labs. Um, we've done upshot, uh, Tao Fu, Geppetto, mythos ventures, angel in my peach. So if you're building on the intersection of crypto and AI, would love to talk to you. Cool. I would say, um, you know, the allegory or maybe the lesson from, the advent of chat GPT. It's, it's interesting how the world was like, Oh my God, this is going to change everything. Like overnight, like jobs are like going to be wiped out on mass. And then now a year and a half into it, so to speak, 
it kind of changed a lot less than I think most of us predicted. But then at the same time, over a long period of time, it will do all of those things. And, um, and it's something that I'm, uh, to, to Tommy's point, I'm taking a long view on. So we've made some investments, you know, some that, that, that Tommy said, um, you know, the first one being ASM, obviously, um, and Origin and a few, and a few others, you know, actually going back to, to Numerai in, in 2015. But um, it's something that I am also more cautious and, and sort of like less high conviction in early stage than I have been in the past because of this really significant challenge that I see with compute and data that is owned by, you know, the Magnificent Seven. And so we're, I would say we're, we're relatively tepid right now. Yeah. I am probably somewhere in the middle. Like I, I think, uh, on my non-crypto portfolio, I've meaningfully allocated to names like none of this financial advice, but you know, like the usual suspects. Uh, I think Facebook was a clear winner that a lot of people were overlooking. They just, I'm looking at who has real data. So I just think that's the biggest moat. Um, on the crypto side, I think um, I'm increasingly cautious to have taken my time to form a thesis largely leaning on people that are way smarter. Uh, go listen to the podcast with Casey and Daniel. Uh, and so to, to really just understand like, okay, what are these use cases? What is actually doable? Who's actually going to be willing to pay for this stuff? And um, so, yeah, I made like 10 or 15 investments. One of which is a fund Tommy and I share with, because um, I just think much like venture, I'm not an expert on AI, but I think there are people that have a very deep network within the AI community. And a lot of people, that, for instance, I want to be, I want to be investing in the manager that left um, OpenAI, knows all the developers that are going to leave at some point and build their own companies. It's not going to be me who captures that alpha. It's going to be someone that is very deep in that community. And I'd, I'm happy to pay manager 220 for that. Cool. That's that's a great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I one one last note. The, the thing that I like about the fund that Santiago mentioned, it's, it's mythos.bc. It's run by Vishal. Um, they have some of the best thinking on moats and in AI. So the rule of thumb is, or their rule of thumb is proprietary data. Ryan, you mentioned this earlier, proprietary algorithms. So, you know, new foundational models, things like that, or proprietary business integrations. Um, you know, the AI agent for that's integrated with Microsoft Excel clearly has a moat versus the one that you have to download as a plugin. So I really like his thinking and always like to share that. And I would argue most uh, VCs that are pouring uh, billions of dollars into startups that are trying to get on the waiting list for H100s, the Nasdaq probably outperforms those VCs nine out of 10 times, right? Because all the efficiency gains that traditional businesses are going to get through AI over a five, 10 year period, if you just play that out, low cost, low fee, ride the Nasdaq for the next 10 years, I think that's probably as simple as it sounds, but I think that is <laughs> probably a better bet than... uh most VC investments right now that are just purely like funding NVIDIA's, lining NVIDIA's uh, coffers. <laughs> I need this. At, at a deep level, I need see, it. See how, like, 
I feel like both of you guys are, you know, it's okay. It's all right. No, we love you. No, no. We just, not, I'm not questioning <laughs> we're, that. We're not cyberbullying you. We, we, oh, we it's you. been a while since someone said, actually, I got a lot of, uh, I, I, I love, well, anyways. Blast, um, yeah, very controversial, eh? You know, mo I think it started with, admittedly, a launch that um, didn't go probably as planned um and i think the team owned up to it and i'm specifically saying it would have been far better to communicate the risk to communicate how it was architected to communicate what it was and what it wasn't at the time meaning you were depositing in a contract it's a multi-sig that is going to take in eth and deposit it to lido or maker and capture yield until the protocol was built. I don't think there were forthcoming with that. I don't think I don't think they were explicit about that. And I think um, the community really crucified them for it. And that's crypto. You you make a wrong turn, you, you're going to get called out on it. And I think we've gotten better, candidly, as a community to really call out bullshit. And yeah, I think they they acknowledge that. Um, where I think a lot of people have been a bit blindsided, if you will, or just myopic, is not revisiting the thesis. Um, I happen to be, of course, I'm an early investor. I've known the team way before they even started their first project, what the most people know them for, which is uh, Blur, which is the NFT marketplace that, you know, is dominant in Ethereum. Are we, are we talking about that in past tense, by the way? It is dominant. Okay is to this day like yeah I mean, just one market share like look there's just a great uh, our network newsletter coming out this week that talked about marketplaces and the evolution of how tensor beat out magic eden and solana and then uh blur beat out like um OpenSea. just incredible and it starts with great product and so i think to me that was my thesis simplistically i think these guys know how to build a great product um and I was involved in the launch mechanics or whatever. Um, but I do think uh, a lot of portfolio companies have reached out saying, hey, we want to be connected to the team. How can we participate? Uh, we want to deploy in the ecosystem. Of course, they're looking at over a billion dollars of staked ETH. Uh, now it's up to closer to two. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's, it's between one it, and two. It's right between now. one and two. Yeah, who would have thought with all that you know, liquidity, there'd be interest from developers. Um, yeah. So I, I don't, I, I, I've never faded founders that know how to build great product. It, how, how is that split now for them? Like, did they go and split the team and, and it's like, okay, now half are building blast and the other half are doing blur still. And like, that kind of feels disjointed in, in a bit. Like how, how does that fit together for you? Great question. It's something that was something I asked at the outset. Um, they hired additional resources. That's why they raised money. Um, Tishan, of course, known as Pac-Man, I guess, is split. I think he, I would encourage people to go read his tweet when this came out publicly. Uh, and it's something I talked to him about. It's like, hey, how do you think people are going to perceive this? Like, you're, there's a very clear rationale why they're building the cell too, is because as the amount of traction that they got demanded that they build an L2. And I think makes a lot of sense. 
when you get that amount of traction. It's like DYDX. At some point, you're faced with a issue of, can I build an L2 or can I own my destiny in a greater capacity? DYDX went the app chain route, and I understand that. Um, you have more agency, you have more control over certain parameters, your validator set, your incentives. Um, you're not competing for a single threaded like block space. Fine. In the case of uh, Blur, uh, I think they got an incredible amount of traction uh, and they saw an opportunity to build their own L2 with a more customized parameters to just make it a more unified and candidly improve the um, improve the product, the core offering, which today is 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 Blur. So that was the rationale. I, I believe it. Of course, the resources from the top are split, but I think there's a very clear direction in where they're going. It would be no different than the DYDX team going out and, you know, building their own app chain. Yeah, I mean... Thank I, you. So what's the, what's the naive, like, understanding for why Blast is different as an L2 outside of... The one-liner, which Tishan always goes back to one-liner, like for Blur, was we're building a marketplace for traders, NFT marketplace for traders. That's it. OpenSea's neglecting them. In the case of Blast, it's a yield, like a native yield-bearing protocol. And when you think about Blast... A lot of it is in these marketplaces is if you have the deepest liquidity, you're going to have the best execution. In order to attract liquidity, there is a trade-off. If that, if that ETH deposited waiting to hit a particular threshold to sweep a floor of a particular you know, NFT collection, it needs to be earning some, like there's an opportunity cost increasingly. So to your point around these other opportunities of restaking of, uh, staking and then restaking your ETH. And so if you don't have that natively built at the protocol level, it becomes difficult, increasingly so, to attract traders. And that is, if you want to call that a one-liner, <laughs> a really long uh, one-liner, but that, that would be it, is, is to compress the opportunity cost of depositing ETH to build deep pools of liquidity to improve the marketplace experience at the protocol level. And that's that's really interesting. That cuts to the capital efficiency, right? It, it, that... it, Brian, you understand this better. If you improve that, then you're in the game. For sure. I mean, and the like absolute central thesis that we talk about around the office uh, this year is that any L1 or L2 that isn't propagating their own capital efficiency through a vibrant DeFi community uh, is not going to have a general community. There's no path to to retail use or to just having a, a uh, like a, a real ecosystem if you're not directly incentivizing a DeFi community to be the backbone of that ecosystem. And I, I, I confess, I like Blast way better than Blur. I think, I think Blur will like. A number of things in you know that we see in the space will have its day in the sun, and then let's see if 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 NFT become the domain of traders or not. Um, but one one could argue that volume is down so much, and that it's really just like high value NFTs that are are actually dominating the landscape at this point. So it's becoming more digital art, and and that could be the constituent to 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 really 
lean into um, that is not being adequately attended. But Blast is really cool because he's taking a direct approach to how can we build capital efficiency in at the protocol layer. Um, and and I think, you know, if I was talking with Pac-Man right now, I would say it's fine for you to split your time, but split it 80-20. Uh, don't split it 50-50. Yeah, I mean, a Blur is kind of a ship that's sailing and, efficient, you know, the amount of work that's required at blur uh, the blast level is much higher, right? You're gonna you're thinking about spinning up an entire ecosystem, attract developers, coordinate all of that. It takes time and effort, and so I'll, I'll report back on this, guys. I'm a judge at the first hackathon. We're getting a ton of inbound of projects that are looking to deploy both new teams, but also existing teams that are in other ecosystems and are trying to see if there's an opportunity. Uh, and so I think it's going to be rather interesting. Um, I think there are ways to bootstrap ecosystems. Arbitrum is probably the most, in my mind, and I'm biased, of course, has been probably the most successful L2 to to capture a very organic, for the long-term kind of ecosystem of builders and projects, probably the most legitimate out there. Without paying for crazy uh, and giving crazy grants. I said organic. But see that, this is the thing is, is this game is just beginning in the L1 and L2 direct incentivization, whether it's grants or subsidizing DeFi ecosystems or deploying that capital. The big story, I think, of 2024 and maybe over the next two years, but certainly this year, is how these very well-capitalized ecosystems and foundations deploy that capital to get what they're after, which is users, eyeballs, capital, um, you know, TVL activity, so on and so forth. Uh, and it, we're, I, we're in inning one of that for sure. But anyways, that's sort of a defining thesis for me in 2024. What is a, what is a, a defining one or one or two thesis um, points for you guys in uh, the, the year ahead? Well, I mean, I've, it's no surprise I've tweeted about this a lot at length, so not the poor listeners of you guys, but um, I'm quite excited. I feel that I'm earlier in crypto today than I was 12 years ago because finally, like, we're entering that stage of you've been in a 12 years of infrastructure build-out that has rendered a lot of business models impossible to scale historically, and it's very exciting to revisit that and encouraged by the amount of activity that you're seeing in higher performance, lower lower latency and higher throughput chains, particularly Solana in this case. It is encouraging from my standpoint. Not because I'm ideologically a maximalist. I, I don't I don't fucking care. Give me a chain that is meets a, the thresholds of security, decentralization and performance. All in, because I want to see these chains get, we all want it like I want to see the day where crypto is uh, translating its core properties in a benefit to the consumer. And and I think we're finally going to be there. Uh, I think the quality of builders at the app layer is improving dramatically. Uh, anyone that is like not using protocols like on-chain is pontificating, stuck in old narratives, that UI, UX is an issue and all this crap. I think chain abstraction is going to be real. 
something that is probably not paid much attention to is the Cosmos ecosystem. You have IBC solving the connectivity layer across chains. Cosmos builders have had to, and I've heard this from Sam from Skip, Cosmos builders from day one have had to deal with the uh, with chain abstraction. And I think that positions them very well to scale out of Cosmos and then uh, implement IBC a- across the universe of blockchains um, and and secure these, you know, the, without compromising on security, you want to connect all these different chains. And so I think that's incredibly exciting. It, succinctly, I think we're entering, historically, it's paid off to invest in infrastructure over anything else in crypto. The vast majority of dollars have gone there. I may be calling it too early. I'm certainly not implementing this, but I do think that there will come a time where more dollars are going to flow and returns are going to be far superior at the app layer. Um, maybe. Not maybe far superior, but I think on a proportional basis, I, I on the proportional basis, I, I, I think it has to, right? Otherwise, if it doesn't, I, I agree that the, the FAB protocol thesis is, is sort of I ascribe to that notion. I think if the token serves its purpose, like you're locking it, you're consuming it, like value should flow down. But on a relative basis of what historically has been returned, if you're an infrastructure investor to an app layer investor, I think the proportion of dollars should meaningfully increase at the app layer. It should. And that will be a hallmark for entering... Um, you know, a the kind of the application phase of this industry, which would dictate more mainstream adoption. So I'm actually quite excited, like encouraging to see activity. One of the areas we're seeing it in NFT trading is kind of like will be a thing. It's it's such a killer product. Stablecoin demand is going to be a killer product. Anything financialization driven is going to be a killer product, but also gaming, real gaming. So that's it for me. Great. Tommy? Yeah, I have one question. I said, what do you think about the mix of apps and then app chains? Because like, there's a world where the apps and the infra are one and the same investment when the app has its own chain. Like DYDX. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of like you get the best of both worlds in that way. Yeah, I mean, topic for another discussion. Uh <laughs> How many more successful breakthrough applications are going to go the route of building their own L2? Blur, Blast. Uh, DYDX went their own way. Maker, tinkering with this. Uh, maybe this is a theme that we're, we're going to see. We saw it in 2017, right? A lot of really smart developers realized that they would make more money if they built their own competing L1. The incentives are just stacked. Maybe that's what we're going to see more and more of breakthrough applications deciding to build their own either L2 or app chain. I mean, Cosmos is, is due for a resurgence. I think Celestia, this there was a dimension injective. Like, I wouldn't fade Cosmos. I would, certainly wouldn't fade IBC. So what should we chat on, on next time, guys? What should we leave listeners with? Ryan, you're well, usually pretty good at this. Let's hear. Let's hear your. Yeah. You know, I'd like to hear one of your core theses of of uh, of 2024. If you can, if you can squeeze it out before you, before you pass out and 
in pain in the back is hanging. I got over. a couple a couple minutes <laughs> left in me. <laughs> the struggle's real. Um just keeping you propped up I, over there. Uh, yeah, it's it's the Red Bull in the, the chair, basically. Um crypto AI for sure. Um already covered that, so I don't want to go into that in, in too much depth. Um pretty excited for the app chain thesis to to actually play out. Um, make it really easy to create app chains, I think, is new design space, like with Anisha and others. I think um, I want to see the Solana thesis play out for that area under for low-cost transactions, what apps are built there. Um, pretty excited about the gaming side as well. So a, a pretty big hodgepodge, but I'd say generally crypto AI is one of the themes I'm most interested in. The user sovereignty side, so running a light node on your phone with Celestia, using ThorChain, using ChainFlip, like building out the on-chain future with Gnosis is is my second theme that I really like. Um, and then I think seeing how the yeah. app chain thesis versus ETH fragmented value flow plays out is something I want to figure out soon. All right, I got an idea for next pod. Most overhyped narratives. And this was inspired because I did a poll on Twitter in the uh, end of 2022. It said, which which outperforms? And it was like Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, NASDAQ, or like other. I didn't even list Solana in there. Uh, funny enough, like 70% selected Ethereum, and it was like the one that underperformed the most. I ran it again yesterday. I've gained more Solana followers. So now Solana was that what Ethereum was at the end of 2022. I don't want to jinx it, but I think it's a good setup to uh, think about non-consensus areas, just things that are like overly crowded and getting ahead of skis or something. Awesome. Yeah, let's dive in there. I think, I think Ryan's going to have some, Ryan's going to have some fun stuff for us too, I think next episode, but oh, yeah. let's see. You know, he hasn't told me. <laughs> Coming soon. He's been teasing. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully, well, that, that then puts a hammer on like, Close it soon because hopefully it doesn't take four months as we <laughs> took the coordinate. Right, you have until next podcast. <laughs> you have until next podcast, which is in two weeks, three weeks. My closing ability is definitely better than our ability to get the next episode up. Here, here. Can't think of a better yeah, way to end this pod then. All right, we'll get to that. All right. Well, see cool. you guys next year. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>